Let's pray this morning and we'll get started. Father, as we've come, we're kicking into the fall and that means a whole bunch of things for a whole lot of different people. And we're going to talk about it this morning in the context of our world and what we're facing. And I pray for your validation. I'm asking for you to connect with us. I'm asking by your spirit that you would have a conversation with us, among us, that uh, might not even be part of what I'm saying, that it, I might trip an idea and away you go with them. And that would be absolutely fantastic. So we seek you for your uh, involvement with us this morning because it's your world and it's your word. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. Well, as I mentioned, we're in fall and I don't know how it is in your world, but uh, the fall and the schedule is in full swing at our house. And uh, we are finding ourselves puffing a little bit, trying to keep up with pace. Anybody else there with us, right? Just, whoa! And uh, our world is kind of like that right now. I'm sure it's probably the same for you. Uh, and I don't know about you, it's always tough to come off of, particularly this summer, because we were on sabbatical, come off just a absolutely gorgeous, relaxed summer. We Seattle, we had a summer. Wasn't that something? And then you come into the fall, right? You know, and... It's just kind of like, kind of discombobulates you a little bit because it's so compressed. And I don't know how about your world, but so compressed with so many things. And Pam and I are finding it hard to even communicate with each other. Now, what's that again? And you're going where? And uh, who's picking a poo? And uh, that kind of deal. So uh, I was I cheated this morning with the picture. But any of you feel like this this fall? Oh, I went backwards. Hello, Oh, get out of there. Whoa. <laughs> Go back, Greg. There we go. Okay. Any of you feel like this this fall? You're supposed to be in charge and instead it's in charge of you and you feel like you're just kind of hanging. You know, uh, this is kind of funny. I love this picture. But um, a lot of the, if you go in scripture, there's a lot of places that talk about this kind of feeling, especially the Psalms. If you go to the Psalms, David talks quite a bit about crying out to God because the circumstances he found himself in were, were coming at him like a flood. He describes it as a flood. Um, we've seen, you know, with Houston and Florida, uh, floods can be pretty overwhelming, uh, pretty terrifying. And now with these hurricanes, a new term has been coined that captures the terror of a wall of water coming at us, and the term is a storm surge, right? And uh, that's something now that we're familiar with where the water comes in and not only is it over your head, it's even over our homes. And so David knew this experience and expressed it often uh, in the Psalms. In Psalm 69, oh, we'll try this again. There we go. Look at that. Awesome. David says this, Save me, O God. He's crying out in some circumstances that he found himself where, where he is freaked and he's crying out to God. He says, For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Uh, that's one of the things about a flood. If you've ever been in the aftermath, the muck, right? There's like a foot and a half of silt and muck and gunk that you've got to walk through and dig out of, and it's just terrible. He says, I sink in the deep mire where there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat's parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. You know, the events uh, that we're facing today uh, in this world feel exactly like that. It feels like a storm surge, right? Just kind of an overwhelming series of waves of events that feel like a flood that are engulfing us. 
Uh, just this summer, I just cataloged a few things. We've had Charlottesville. We've had the typhoon in India with over 1,200 dead, but got very little press here. Uh, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, 8.1 earthquake in Mexico, wildfires in California, Oregon, Washington, and Montana, which heads the list. I had that it had over 40 uncontained fires. Uh, I found out new statistics this week. There have been 1,500 fires in Montana, and they've burned, as of this week, in probably a million acres of land. Montana is just getting, and you don't hear anything in the news because everything's focused on, you know, the hurricanes. Um, so that's there. We now have uh, Jose, Hurricane Jose still pending. Hurricane Maria has just formed and is now following in the exact same tracks of Irma. So those islands that just got bashed are about to get bashed again. And here's the thing about an island. Uh, you know, we go to those places and they're wonderful. We call them tropical paradises. But if you've ever lived on one of those things, one of the problems is you can't get off of them. Okay? So they become a prison. Uh, often you've heard the term island fever. It's a very real thing because you can't get off the darn thing. And now, once the infrastructure smashed, there's nowhere you can go. You can't drive somewhere. You can't get off. There's no boats. So you can't go find water and food and these kind of things. And so uh, they're just, uh, we, we need to pray. I also read this week that the U.S. national debt just hit $20 trillion. That's a number that says mind-boggling. I don't know how you get your head around that number. And that Kim Jong-un is detonating hydrogen bombs, right? It's a fairly overwhelming stretch uh, the last few months. As I mentioned last week, I have three neighbors who in all sincerity came to me and said, Steve, do you think we're close to the end of the world as they watch us all pile up? You know, and the question is, are we feeling a little overwhelmed? Are we feeling the pressure of that? My response to them was, I don't think we are. But I said to them, if we are, it would be a good time not to sin. <laughs> right? Jesus talked about the end times in Matthew 24. He was asked uh, what the end times would look like and he said this. He said, Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, for the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. And as I read that passage... Something caught my attention. It struck me there's something very powerful that often gets totally overlooked when you read that passage. Apart from all the description, there's a little phrase that packs an incredible punch. And it's inserted right in the middle of it. And it's this phrase. See that you are not, what? Alarmed. Is it easy to get alarmed? It is. In the midst of Jesus describing, he says, see that you, the church, you, the believers, you who have faith in me, don't get alarmed. Just keep your eyes on me. Keep looking at me. Keep me in focus. Don't get alarmed. These things have to happen. And so this phrase, see that you're not alarmed, it kind of flies right in the face of all the events that seem to be conspiring together to produce just exactly that. Alarm. Right? And so I was looking at that and, you know, and the question was, okay, now, 
you know, Steve, you've been around a long time. You've seen a lot of stuff. I.e., that means I'm old. You know, are, are all these events that much different from the things that happened years ago? You know, the different seasons, different... And I don't know, and, and I'm not all that sure, but here's one thing I do know. The reporting of these things is vastly different. Right? If you just think about how news was reported and access to news when you were a kid versus now, it, it has changed dramatically. Update coverage has become up to the second coverage. The amount of information is amazing. It also can be overwhelming. Uh, we don't just have TV, the radio, newspapers anymore. That were the three main conduits in the past. Often there would be an event like an earthquake. I know in the States we'd find out about it three weeks, three months later, right? That it'd get reported. It was, there was a, a time delay on it. That's not true anymore. Uh, we have cable. We have satellite. Instead of three TV channels, we have 750 by the way, have you ever tried to sift through all 750 of those channels? It takes a lot of time. We have the internet along with Facebook, email, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter, Twitter's weird, right? It's getting really weird with Twitter because we talk about Twitter like it's a person. See if you don't recognize these phrases. Twitter reacts to a coach's rant. Um... Twitter makes posts go viral. Twitter loves this puppy. Twitter catches coaches stare at player. You know, it, it talks about Twitter like it's a living person. Right? Pretty soon, we're waiting for a knock on the door. Hi, Twitter came to visit us. <laughs> I would not be surprised in the very near future someone names their child Twitter. Right? Just, let's just take it to the logical maximum insanity that it can go. You know, but underneath uh, all the humor there, there's really a serious reality, and that is the rise of anxiety and fear. Now, we could spend a message, a couple messages maybe, on just that topic alone, but I want to take a little different slant this morning. Rather than going into all the verses that counter anxiety and fear, and I would encourage you to look them up. They're very good verses to have in your hip pocket when you start experiencing anxiety and you should have some scripture you go back to that reminds you, oh yeah, put my faith back in Christ. Put my eyes back on him. That, that would be really good. And it's, it's kissing cousin worry, right? We, we fall into that. But I want to approach it this morning from the contrast of despair versus faith. Because you can watch these events and totally fall into despair. Or you can approach these events and totally embrace them by faith. And the difference between the two is enormous. Uh, the modern theologian, uh, comedian Jim Carrey, I'm glad a couple of you got that, postulated the position of despair in an interview this past week. I don't know if you read it or uh, followed it, but in it he said, in a message about surviving tough times, he, if you know his personal life, he's been through some very tough times, his message was give up hope. Give up hope. He said that he has embraced hopelessness as a means to coping with life's difficulties. And here's, here's what he said. Okay. He says, give up. Surrender to the idea that things are bad and yet still, from 3,000 feet up, we don't matter. Things are happening and we're going to happen along with them whether we like it or not. But we don't matter. Once you lose yourself... You're pretty okay. 
Just get you out of the way. He goes on to say, the fact is going down the river of sorrow and suffering is like is a way to freedom. I've gone through it and I'm telling you, you don't survive it. You don't come out of it on the other side. You might come out of it with a body, but there's no you attached to it. Right? And if you know anything about uh, Jim Carrey's life, now this is one way to embrace the frightening realities of life. My heart actually has empathy for him, uh, for what he's gone through. He's fought depression for years. I don't know if you know that. that by the way, that's true of most comedians. Did you know that? Is they fight serious battles with depression. Um, but then his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Katharina White, committed suicide this past year. And so his, his life's just been uh, a deep pit at this point. And you could see why someone facing those circumstances could lose hope. But notice there's no mention of God in there at all. That's a very humanistic take. This is all that's in the world. Just give up, hopeless, be hopeless, and, and you will find your way through. What about us? How do we handle the rising tide of world events? How do we get not alarmed when those things happen? What's the opposite of hopelessness? Well, the opposite of hopelessness is hope and faith, which is what this is all about. Okay? I don't know if you know that, and sometimes we forget it, and sometimes we just show up, but when you think about church in a community, it is called a faith community. That is what this place is all about, is faith and hope. Jesus said, trust in God, trust in me also. Hebrews 6 talks about how hope is an anchor for us. It says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the what? To the hope that is set before us. Jesus just didn't die and go away. He set a hope out before us. He said, if you believe in me, you have a hope. You have a hope for eternity. It's not just for the moment. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. An anchor is something that holds a boat in place in the midst of a big storm. We have something better than an anchor in our hope in Jesus. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so the importance of of having hope, the importance of having faith, the importance of remembering, that's really our foundation. Yes, it's the love of God, but the love of God produces hope and faith, that God has done something for us. And that something can't be shaken. And I think that's something we have to remind ourselves in in this kind of environment. Hebrews 10 goes on to uh, say something that ties with Hebrews 6. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. It's talking here about how Jesus sacrificially died on the cross for you and for me. That's not just a story. It is the most driving fact of history. And that driving fact of history produces faith and it produces hope. 
says, Since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of what? Faith. It can't be half-baked. How far does half-baked faith get you? You ever tried that? Ever go into something with kind of a half of faith and, ah, uh, I hope this works out, right? It's talking about being fully assured of the faith that is ours. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What's the confession of our hope? That's faith. Let me tell you why I've placed my faith in Jesus and let me tell you why that's given me hope. And there's a little phrase that says what? Without wavering. I, I laugh when we sing these songs, I will not be shaken, because we're shaken by everything. Right? I think it would be better if we said, He won't be shaken. Right? But our faith in the one who can't be shaken should be unwavering. It has to be ironclad. Yes, for you right now. See, you, I don't know your faith journey. I don't know where you've come from. I well, I, that's not true. I know where most of you come from. But you were handed something. Some of you were handed a faith. The baton pass went off to you. Some of you ruptured into the kingdom like me. There was no baton. It was more like a mallet. And you got whacked like a two by four. And then you thank Jesus for doing that. Right? And you, you had no idea how you got here and you don't know how you popped in, but you're just grateful you're here and glad you're loved, right? But there's a place where every generation has to anchor down and own their faith as their own faith. It can't be their parents' faith. It can't be their friend's faith. It can't be the neighbor next door's faith. It can't be your puppy's faith, Okay? It has to be yours. It has to lock in with crystal clarity that I am anchored, everything I've got and everything I'm about is anchored in Jesus. And that's not negotiable. And what stirred up times do is tell you how well you're anchored. You may have to tighten up the line. But God wants to use it to get our attention. Are you anchored in me, son? Are you anchored in me, daughter? Do you have confidence? Are we together on this? Jesus will often come hard to Are we together? You and I? We got this? Your eyes on me? Are you, are you splitting off and taking off in your own direction? Or are your eyes on me? Are you following me? Are we there? And it just brings us back to the important, this new and living way, that's the gospel. The eternal story of how God, as John mentioned and, and sung so well in worship this morning, how God saw the predicament of sin and realized we would never fix that thing. The older you get, the more you realize what a deep ditch our rebellion has created and what sin has created. It's, it, it often can lead you to despair unless you are anchored in hope and unless you're anchored in the gospel, that Jesus did something about that problem. That he got you out of a ditch you couldn't get out of. That he covered a debt you couldn't pay. That he is willing to fix some things that you broke and you can't put back together. Any of you sitting here looking back and going, oh, I wish I could fix that. Right? Oh, I wish I could fix that. And you can't? Well, he can't. 
But you've got to be following His lead. And the question is, is our eyes on the storm or our eyes on the King? Where are our eyes set? Where's our heart set? Where's our affection set? It's really important. Jesus said this. He says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. Now when he said that to the disciples, what were they about to go into? His death. They were about to go into the Last Supper and they were about to go through his crucifixion. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That you may have peace in the midst of chaos. Crazy chaos. You do realize that if North Korea sends a nuke over the United States, the place where it's going to land probably is Seattle. You do realize that, right? It's the closest shot outside of Alaska to hit something. Alaska would require 400 more miles in trajectory and L.A. would require 1,200. Okay? If you've got a chance of skipping one across the pond, where are you going to skip it to? You know, that would be boom, Jesus, hi. What are you doing here? I don't know. Hi. Hi. I want to give you peace, but peace only comes if you're anchored on Him. And that's, that's true if you're young, and that's true if you're... You know, the, the worries of the young and the worries of the old different, differ significantly, right? But they're still worries, and they can capture you. Faith anchors hope. Faith creates trust. Faith facilitates surrender. And faith is a source of peace. Let me say that again. Faith anchors hope. Faith creates trust. Faith facilitates surrender. And faith is a source of peace. Faith is the door to the kingdom of Jesus. Always has been, always will be. There's no other way to get in. There's no other way to go through. You don't get through by your attitude. You don't get through by your smarts. You don't get through by your will. You don't get through by your pedigree. You get through by the door of faith. And it's you who have to walk through the door. Jesus says he'll knock, but you've got to open. How many times did Jesus say to someone, just... Through your Bible, I know you guys know the word. How many times did Jesus say to someone, Friend, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look that up this week. Some of the best stories in the Bible that you know are those stories. Friend, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus goes on to talk about this farther. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them, let them, I'm sorry, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But what if something really bad happens? Really bad, really, really bad. Does that peace, is that true? Does it, is it there? Let me offer a contrary story to Jim Carrey's. Last week after the service, uh, many of you wondered why I was wearing a tie because I only wear a tie for communion or a wedding or a funeral and 
um, you were wondering what was going on. And Pam and I drove to Popkini Field in Bothell for Eric Lucas's uh, memorial service. Uh, the Lucas family, Ron and Carolyn. Carolyn was longtime choir director at North Shore. Ron and I got the buses together, and we have a whole history together. And they had four kids. Eric was the oldest uh, drum major with Dave Weed in high school. Okay, a little bit of history there because Dave's pretty old. And uh, <laughs> his sister Kim, uh, his brother Chris, and then his sister Wendy. And um, the family was originally from Laguna Beach, so uh, that's where Carolyn's mom lived, and so they would take all their vacations down there. And they had spent many, many vacations down there. Eric was an expert surfer and swimmer, and they were down for vacation. Eric and his son were out surfing, and uh, David decided they were going to make one last run, but David went in just to, he has two small children, so they, uh, he went in just to make sure the kids were okay on the beach with mom, and uh, there was an unusual swirling of the surf that day in the tide. Um, Eric had already pulled out uh, four other people out of the water early in the day, and so they credited him with saving the lives of four people that day. Isn't that amazing? And uh, David, as I mentioned, came in to see if his wife's doing okay when all of a sudden the cry went on on the beach that there was a body in the water. They, to this day, don't really know what happened. Um, they don't know if a freak wave hit him or if uh, his board hit him or what happened. Uh, Debbie, also being an experienced beach person, uh, immediately called 911 and then ran down the beach alighting, uh, alerting the lifeguard that uh, there was a, a person in the water never realizing that it was her own husband she was calling for. Upon returning, it was she who ended up giving CPR to her own husband. Now put yourself in that circumstance for just one second. Stop and think. How would you react? Let me tell you what I saw last Sunday. I saw a woman who was full of faith. Hurting, definitely, but radiant. Fully confessing that God was good. That her trust in Jesus had solidified and actually grown. That they as a family had been recipients of unbelievable amounts of prayer. They could, she would tell you we felt it. And she would tell you we, God, Jesus has given us an incredibly greater grace to be able to go through something like this. She said, Jesus, we prayed for Eric's healing. Jesus said no, and it's okay. She said she was fully anchored in her faith. In Second Thessalonians, whoops, There we go. Thank you. It says, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, or I would read it, that the name of Jesus, our Lord, may be glorified in us, that we would cooperate, make him look good, 
and you and him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Why am I saying this? Because I don't know where this fall's going. I was stunned by a lot of the events that happened this summer. It was weirder because we were on sabbatical and like, oh my gosh, I got to get back to Northview. Right? And God said, no, you just sit. I got Northview in hand. That's fine. You need to trust me. All right, I will. But I think it's easy sometimes to just forget that really why we come here is to be encouraged and anchored in our faith. That sometimes we get off. Sometimes we start floating. Sometimes we get marginal. Sometimes we're not paying attention. Sometimes other things are luring us and tantalizing us and we want to grab that instead of hanging on to the rope of faith. And this is, it's about faith. It's, what, if you say, what is Northview? When you come on a morning like this, it's a faith-based institution. It's a community of faith. That means it works, it lives, it breathes, it's sustained by faith. And not just faith in faith, faith in Jesus. That what he actually did still matters, what he actually did still counts, what he actually did is alive today, every bit as much as it was 2,000 years ago. Faith keeps it going. Faith perpetuates it. That's how we keep going week to week. Have you ever realized how ridiculous the idea of a church is? To get a whole bunch of people to come to something that they pay money for that they don't get nothing out of. Right? How would that thing keep going? Well, unless there's someone behind that thing and that thing is his bride, and he loves that bride, and contrary to all popular parts that the churches did, I want to suggest to you the church is very alive because its husband is very alive and he's very present. Faith is both, you know, we have fresh faith, there's new faith here, which energizes and refreshes us as a church. We have mature faith, which steadies it and gives it depth and lastability, right? A lot of people, when you start out, you can sprint, you can't marathon. Those of us who have been around a while realize you pace it. You've got to pace it. Right? It's a place where people who have faith in Jesus gather to edify and encourage each other. They keep operating in faith. A place to encourage and strengthen those who are weak in faith. You can make it. How many calls are, oh, I'm struggling, I can't get it. Hey, you'll make it. And you give some word or some encouragement or some scripture, right? They, oh, thanks, that really, that really helped. It's a place where those seeking faith can come and find its source, a relationship in the Lord Jesus. A lot of people see church. A lot of people don't see the Lord of the church. And if you don't see the Lord of the church, the church makes no sense. If you don't know Him personally, it's just something you go to. When you know Him personally, it all comes alive. It's an amazing thing. Uh, speaking of that, just again, Alpha starts tonight. And if you've got questions about faith or you have a friend that does, uh, invite them at 5 o'clock. It's not too late to come and join us. You can come, take a look, see why people truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that our faith in him is not in vain. Well, that's what this fall's about. Now, this fall, just like every other fall before it, is going to require what? Come on, say the word with me. What's it going to require? What has every fall in the history of the world required? What are you going to need this fall as you go through this fall? You said that like you don't really believe that. Or you said that like, Mitch, if I put faith, something really bad's going to happen. 
Is God good? Is God good all the time? What are you going to need to get through this fall? Faith. Faith. What do we have to stay anchored in? What's our counter to the world and its hopelessness? Right? Does that make sense to us? We have to anchor on this. It's really important. Next week I'm going to talk about the importance of community. But here's the question this morning. Are you willing and ready to lean into this fall through the eyes of faith? Are you willing to look through it? God, I have to stay anchored in you. What's this fall going to look like if I do it by faith? And my hope is that our answer is yes. May our answer be yes. Let's pray. Father, as we do this, our individual circumstances come into play immediately when we ask a question like that. Because although we all have the same faith and we all have the same Savior, we don't all have the same circumstances. Some of us are rolling. Some of us are dead in the water. Some of us are under tremendous pressure and strain. Some of us have none. Some of us have family situations that are taxing an already stressed schedule. Some of us are coming in the fall. And really, the fall is no different than any other season of the year. And uh, We're empty nesters. We don't have kids. And so really, we don't feel any tension or stress like others would, like a young mom of four or, uh, would uh, coming into the fall. And therefore, this is where application comes from you. What's the step of faith that each of them need to take? What do you want to highlight for them? Where do you want to encourage them? We ask in faith that you will do that and help us be a a living, radiant community of faith for our world and to bless you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.